Let's pray together this morning. You are indeed our holy God, whose name is beautiful and wonderful and powerful. And God, as we come before you this morning, I pray um, that we would see you as our holy God, who makes the way for us, um, who has his hand um, over everything that happens in this earth, Lord, um, and who holds us to himself um, and calls us his. Um, and loves us more um, than we can ever know or imagine. So God, I just pray that you would um, wrap us in this love, not only this morning, but as we walk through Holy Week and into Good Friday um, and Easter Sunday, Lord. I pray that you would um, meet us here in the midst of our lives. And um, God, I, I just again pray um, for the city of Nashville, um, for Covenant Church and School, and just ask that you would be in their midst this morning, that you would hold them and comfort them um, and bring them your peace um, that is beyond their understanding, um, Lord, but that they would know that their mighty God is with them. Um, we pray that would be true for all those who have been impacted by these storms um, and tornadoes throughout our country. Um, Lord, bring them the resources they need. Um, heal those who have been injured. Um, Lord, that you would, we ask that you would raise up people to come alongside them um, as they um, look to rebuild and, and um, gather again in their homes and in their towns. So, Lord, we lay these things and so many more things um, at your feet. Everything we bring with us this morning, our hopes and our fears, our worries, Lord, we give them to you, and we ask that you would um, be with us in the midst of them. So we love you, Lord, in your good and holy name. Amen. Well, as we continue our worship, we um, turn to our time of giving. Um, you can see the ways to give on the screen, and um, you're also welcome to put a check in the back as well. Um, and we just invite you to do that however the Lord leads you to. And I'm going to um, continue the tradition these past few weeks of reading John 17 um, to prepare us for what, what Sean will come up and share in just a little bit. So hear these words um, from the Gospel of John. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, 
for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also might be sanct- may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent them. You have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make known that the love with which you have loved me may be, may be in them, and I in them. Well, Sean, I invite you to come up and share with us. All right, thank you, Becca, and good morning. It's good to see you on this another rainy morning. <laughs> And uh, happy Palm Sunday. As Becca said, this is the beginning of Holy Week. And as we enter into this most sacred week of the year, we do recognize that from a Christian perspective, all space is sacred space. All places and all times are sacred For in all places and in all times, somehow the living Trinitarian God is present. As the psalmist says, where can I go from your presence, Lord? Answer, nowhere. But some spaces seem to be more sacred. Or maybe a better way to say it is more clearly sacred. Like the burning bush on Mount Sinai. This is where the living God encounters Moses in a bush on fire, yet yet not being consumed. This was clearly sacred space. Or like the dedication of Solomon's temple, 
when fire comes down from heaven and consumes the burnt offerings and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. That was clearly sacred space. Or like the womb of Mary, where the Savior of the world was conceived, where Jesus was formed. Or at Jesus' baptism. Luke tells us that when Jesus presented himself for baptism, he was praying, and at that moment, heaven opens, the Spirit descends like a dove, and the Father says, you are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. That space was clearly sacred as all three persons of the Trinity are revealed. Now notice, especially in that one, that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus is told by his Father who he is, my beloved Son. He then expresses his feelings toward Jesus, with whom I am well pleased. This is before Jesus does anything ministry related. At his baptism, we hear the deep, deep love the Father has for the Son. Remember that as we go through our passage today. Or at Jesus' transfiguration, where we hear similar words. Again, the text says Jesus is praying, and again we hear the Father speak. The text says a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to Him. Clearly sacred space. Or consider the, that first Palm Sunday. One could say that the road in which Jesus as the peaceful king rides in on a donkey, not a conquering stallion, but a donkey, which says he's coming in peace. That space was clearly sacred space as well. I love what Jesus says to the Pharisees at that time. They're, the Pharisees are looking on contemptuously, and Jesus says, if no one would have worshipped him, the rocks would have. Later he enters Jerusalem and he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and, it, and I will glorify it again. We hear the Father speak again, honoring the beloved Son. Clearly sacred space. Or like the cross on Good Friday, where Jesus gives his life for the life of the world. Or the tomb on that first Easter, Jesus resurrected and alive meets Mary Magdalene and another Mary, turns their whole world upside down, turns the entire world upside down. It's the beginning of a whole new world where everything has changed. We'll talk about that next Sunday. That was clearly sacred space. But also, one of the most sacred spaces and times is the space and time the night before Jesus goes to the cross. Thursday night of Holy Week. What we celebrate is Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday. This Thursday, 
This is when Jesus, the Son of God, prays. This is when Jesus, incarnate in our flesh and blood, opens his heart to his Father in our hearing. This prayer is one of the most holy and sacred spaces I know. For John 17 is the conversation at the center of the universe. As we said last week, from all eternity, God has lived in relationship. As a community of persons, as a family. And John 17 is a conversation within these relationships. The living God is a Trinitarian God, symbolized by that that symbol on the top of our window called the trefoil. Apparently, there are trefoil Girl Scout cookies. Did you know that? <laughs> I wonder if they know about this symbol. The living God is not a solitary God. The living God is not an isolated God. The living God lives within relationships. And as we discovered last week, Jesus prays that we, his disciples, be included in these relationships. It's the great mystery and wonder of salvation. That we are included in the life and love of God. As Paul says later, in him we live and move and have our being. This is one of Jesus' deepest desires, that we be included in the life and love of God. So this week, our fourth round of studies in John 17, our fourth and last, we will continue to ask, what does Jesus desire? What is Jesus asking the Father to do? Three times in the prayer, we hear Jesus ask the Father for something. Verse 9, verse 15, and verse 20. Now that word that's used in those three verses means to ask something with intensity or boldness. And here's the thing. This word has so much intensity in the Greek, it's never used in the New Testament of people asking God for something, except here, three times. Jesus is the only person who uses this particular verb in speaking to the Father, because he's the only person on the same level as the Father. He's the only person who has the right to ask so boldly. Three times I ask, each time with intensity and boldness, asking the Father to do what only the Father can do. And yet, Jesus goes even more intense in verse 24. Today, as I said, we'll conclude our studies in John 17, and we're going to look just at the last few verses of the prayer, beginning with verse 24, where Jesus says, Father, I desire. I wonder, could it be at this point 
where Jesus pauses, takes a deep breath, and with, with lots of emotion says, Father, I desire. The Greek word here for desire is thelo. It actually means I will. I will. Not just desire, but I will. Father, I really, really want this. Father, I will. After this prayer, Jesus, with his disciples, will go across the Kidron Valley to a garden. And within that garden, Jesus will pray, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Here in John 17, though, Jesus shares his will, his desire. It's the only place in the gospel record where the Son says, I will this to the Father. Which is why some people refer to John 17 as Jesus' last will and testament. Father, I will that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. In the Greek, the emphasis is on they. So literally, it's Father, they whom you have given me, I will that they be, may be with me where I am. Jesus' great desire, his will, which he saves to the very end of the, near the very end of his prayer, is that you and I be with him where he is. Father, I want them, my given ones, to be with me where I am. I told myself I wouldn't scream today, but this is so good. Jesus really, really likes you and me. He really likes you and me. He really likes our company. He likes us so much he wants to be with us where he is. Now this, of course, is an allusion back to earlier in the upper room discourse to the promise he made in chapter 14. So just before he says his last I am statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, just before that, he says these famous words. You'll recognize them. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go... And prepare a place for you. I will come again. And I will take you to myself. That where I am. You may be also. Now where exactly is that? I don't know. But it's not far away. I know that. And it is within the Father's bosom. I know that. 
He wills us to be with him in the bosom of the Father. In the prologue, way back in chapter 1, John said, No one has ever seen God. The only God, Jesus, who is in the Father's bosom, he has made him known. The disciple John, the beloved disciple, who leans his head on Jesus' heart in the upper room, says that Jesus is in the bosom of the Father, in the closest possible relationship with the Father, always has been and always will be, and he wants us to be right there with him, right there with him where he is in this full, unconditional, unbreakable embrace of the Father. Now, as I said back in John 14, this is actually language of marital intimacy, When Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and and then goes on to say, I go to prepare a place for you, he is actually echoing language of the first century betrothal service, or the, uh, yeah, betrothal service. A groom would leave his father's house and go to the bride's house to make final arrangements with the bride's father. After the arrangements were made, over a cup of wine, the groom would speak the betrothal covenant to the bride. He would say this, I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you, and when I have prepared it, I will come again and will take you to be where I am, that you may be with me also. This Withness speaks to how close Jesus desires to be in our relationship. His words here in John 17 speak to his desire for a deep, deep intimacy with us as close, as close as marital intimacy. And not just be with But the end of verse 24, to see my glory. To see my glory. We've already beheld some of his glory, haven't we? Remember the first week, we talked about the glory narrative. We saw glory in the water into wine, the love toward a Samaritan woman, the healing of the lame man, the feeding of the 5,000, grace and truth toward a woman caught in adultery, healing of a blind man, and the raising of Lazarus. And ultimately, the ultimate glory will be revealed at the cross on Good Friday. But apparently, there's more to see. Apparently, there's even more to see. And Jesus desires that we be with him to see his glory. For you ladies studying Romans, in chapter 8, Paul says that he's looking forward to the glory yet to be revealed. Apparently, there's more to see. There is more glory to see. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that we will eventually really see him. We'll really see him as he really is with no distortions. What a glorious day that will be. Amen? This week I ran across an old hymn 
which speaks of this glorious day. The hymn is called Face to Face with Christ My Savior by Carrie Breck. I'm not going to sing it. It goes like this, face to face with Christ my Savior, face to face what will it be when I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Only faintly now I see him with the darkened veil between, but a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. Father, Jesus says, I will them. I desire that they see my glory. He wants us to see him as he really is. He wants you to see him as he really is. He wants all of us, everyone, to see him as he really is. Now, a few, a few years ago, Mercy Me updated that old hymn. I don't think that's what they were doing but they wrote a song called I Can Only Imagine. You may recognize that. Actually, I think it was just made into a movie recently. Um, It goes like this. Once again, I will not sing it, but it says, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? Wow. Father, I want them, I will them to be with me where I am, to see my glory. Father, I want Sean to be with me where I am to see my glory. Father, I want Mary and Martha and John and Matthew to be with me where I am to see my glory. Father, I want Sophia and Mart and Edna and Benjamin and Monica to be with me where I am to see my glory. What a glorious day that will be. But there's more. Jesus isn't done. He keeps praying. What more could he possibly desire beyond what he's already said? Verse 25, O righteous Father, Earlier he had prayed, Holy Father, holy and righteous, bring it all together. Holy, pure, radiant, clean, beautiful beyond comprehension, holy other. And now righteous, just, faithful, faithful to relationships. Oh, righteous Father, Father of right relationships. Father, who writes all relationships? Even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made, that, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Apparently, there's still more to know. There's still more to learn about the name. None of us ever masters the name. There are no masters of divinity. As Dale Bruner says, there are no graduates from the Jesus School. 
Jesus will keep taking us farther up and further in. Into what? Verse 26, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. It takes my breath away. Remember the deep, deep love the Father shared at Jesus' baptism before Jesus had done anything in ministry. There's no greater love in all the universe than that love. The love the Father has for His his begotten Son. And Jesus now prays that we have that same love in us. So Jesus wants to continue to unfold the name, which is to say, he wants to continue to reveal the full character and reputation of the Father so that we might really know, so that we might really know that the Father loves us in the same way and to the same degree as he loves his only begotten son. It's astounding. Jesus wants us to really know that the Father loves us in the same way and to the same degree as he loves his only begotten son. Amazing love, how can it be? So New Testament scholar Craig Keener can write, God's love for Jesus' followers is of the same character as his love for his unique son, Jesus, so that in the end, all of Jesus' true disciples become beloved disciples. As you know, John calls himself the beloved disciple but we can all say it. We can all say it. We are all beloved disciples. Jesus desires for all of us to experience the lavish, affectionate, eternal, perfect servant love the Father has for Him. Jesus wants us, mere humans, mere sinful humans, to experience and live out of that great love. Wow, it it takes my breath away. But there's one more thing he prays. One last thing. The end of verse 26. So that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. There's that preposition again. In. As I have said many times, you can't can't get closer than in. That's what Jesus wants. And this, this is the last line of this great prayer. Not amen. Not for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. But I in them. Why end the prayer there? Well, because if Jesus is in us, then everything he has prayed, everything he has prayed for is in us. 
As E. Stanley Jones says, if Jesus is in us, everything that is in Jesus is in us. And in Jesus is the Father. And in Jesus is the Spirit. And in Jesus is the kingdom and the power and the glory. In. In. I just have to read a C.S. Lewis quote, which you may recognize. It's from his book, Mere Christianity. It goes like this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. And it doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is going on? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Father, Father, Holy Father, 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 righteous Father, the hour has come. It's time for you to manifest my essential nature and character so that I might manifest your essential nature and character. It's time for my disciples and the world to see the fullness of glory, to see the full extent of our self-emptying love. Father, I ask that my disciples know they are gifts from you to me, that they have eternal life now and forever, that you keep them, Father, in the world, in your name, and from the evil one. Holy Father, I ask that you give them the fullness of my joy, that you sanctify them, and that they be one, Father, included in our oneness. And Father, I desire that they be with me where I am, to see the fullness of my glory. O oh, righteous Father, I will that they know how much you love them, that you love them in the same way and to the same degree as you love me. And lastly, I will to be in them. That is what Jesus wants. Those are the deepest desires of Jesus' heart. In the next verse, in 18.1, John says, And when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out to the cross, to glory, so that everything he, paid, he prayed for would become possible. 
So that concludes our four weeks in John 17. And what I want to do now is, is make just a couple concluding remarks, and then we're going to have a time of reflection. And a couple remarks means four. <laughs> As I have soaked in, in this sacred time and place of John 17 over these last several months, I have, number one, regained perspective. Dallas Willard's quote has helped me. I ended last week with it, but I want to say it again. He says this, It's being included in the eternal life of God that heals all wounds and allows us to stop demanding satisfaction. What really matters on a personal level once it is clear that you are included? I've regained perspective. Number two, I have found great comfort and encouragement. As I said that first week, living in the modern world can be overwhelming at times. It can be unsettling at times. It can be anxiety-inducing at times. This week was another example. And for me, it's been comforting to soak in a text where Jesus probably feels those same emotions. He knows what's coming tomorrow. In only a few hours, he knows. And it's also comforting to know that he is for me, that he's praying for me. And he is continuing to intercede for me from the throne. Number three, I have found that I'm no longer afraid. As I have spent time listening in on this conversation at the center of the universe, fear fades, if only for a moment. For certainly the Father honors the Son's requests. Besides, since Jesus lives in and from the Father's hearts, Jesus' heart's desires are the Father's heart's desires. Jesus' prayer is going to be answered. John 17 is going to be answered. And I no longer need to be afraid. And number four, I have found that I need to continue to live in this prayer. I've discovered I need to live in John 17 in order to keep my passion for God alive. I... I now know that I need to make my home in John 17 regularly to keep my love for Jesus alive. I need to live in and from this conversation at the center of the universe. Well, at this time, I'm going to invite our worship team up on stage. And what I want to do is is to close our four weeks with a time of reflection. As the team sings, I can only imagine. The slide with all of Jesus' desires will stay up here. And what I'd like us to do is for, for us to pick one or two of these desires that we want to move forward with. The one or two that will comfort you, or encourage you, or, or make you less afraid.
I also invite you to pick one for which you will intercede for others. Remember, as we've soaked in this prayer, I think Jesus desires that our heart will beat to the rhythm of his heart. And so pick one or two for yourself and then pick one that you want to pray for others for. Okay, so let's spend some time in reflection. Well, if you would like prayer this morning, there will be pastors and elders up here to my right, your left, who would love to pray with you. Now receive this benediction from Romans. If the triune God is for us, who can be against us? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, and go live out of that love. Have a great Holy Week. Thank you.